Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and welcome to episode 256 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Jessica Jones, NSI Deputy Executive Director, and today I'm joined by Jamil Jaffer, NSI's very in-house media conglomerate, and Mita Vigna and Lester Munson, two NSI firebrands and senior fellows. Today, we're talking about Poland. Uh, with an election coming up uh, next month on October 15th, the c- country finds itself extremely divided. The campaign tone has turned dark and all eyes across the continent are watching. Uh, the country's ruling party, the conservative Law and Justice Party, is trying to secure its third term in a row in government. And the opposition is rallying voters for a general election that they see as their last chance to save the country's hard-won de- democratic freedoms. Just yesterday on Sunday, large crowds of the opposition marched throughout Warsaw, converging around a giant flag commemorating a 1945 uprising against Nazi Germany and representing what some see as the biggest display of anti-government sentiment since Poland's Solidarity Trade Union movement rallied against communism in the 1980s. Beyond determining the Polish government, the U.S. and our European partners are also watching the election with an eye towards the future of Polish support for Ukraine and Poland's future with the EU. Uh, The Law and Justice Party has been fighting the EU over judicial, media, and human rights standards ever since taking power in 2015. And in the last few weeks, it sent mixed messages about its policy towards Ukraine. So we've seen increasingly powerful Poland, uh, which is, you know, massive buildup of armed forces. It was one of the first countries to come to Ukraine's aid with major weapons deliveries. And it has a growing economy that has become the European Union's sixth largest. You know, are are the U.S. policymakers and the Biden administration recognizing the importance of Poland? And is this election as important as the polls think it is? Jamil, I'll turn first to you. Look, I mean, I think the I think everyone recognizes how important the polls are to uh, Ukraine, Ukraine's fight against Russia. Uh, they are the key conduit point for all the weapons. They have provided a significant portion of the weaponry uh, to Ukraine. They are at the heart of this fight. And the polls recognize that, too. They recognize the very real threat that Russia poses. Uh, they've been invaded by Russia before. Uh, they've been invaded by Germany. They know what uh, what the threat looks like on their borders. That's exactly why they're engaged in this fight. Now, there is an internal uh, fight going on. A lot of this turns on um, uh, economics and the like. Uh, there's been this dispute over grain. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the polls are going to stick with the fight. They're going to stick with the support of Ukraine. There was one, you know, concerning step back. The the prime minister of Poland uh, said that we're no longer we're no longer arming the Ukrainians. We're now arming Poland. Uh, the president of Poland appears to have walked some of that back as well. But you know, that's a obviously a concerning statement. I don't think that's real. I think it's more electoral politics. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the polls continue their support of Ukraine. But this just demonstrates that you can't take it for granted. And if the opposition party um, you know, succeeds, um, you know, there'll be an ongoing debate too with them and the European Union. This isn't going to end, uh, you know, with the, if, if the, if the, uh, if the PAS party, uh, leaves power, they're unlikely to be power. They're likely to stay in. Um, and I think we're likely to see continued support for Ukraine. Yeah. In addition to the election, I mean, less. Your thoughts on the election. Also, what do you think? Does this send a larger message about European unity towards support for Ukraine this election? Jones, I want to go back to something you referenced in the opening this idea, and I think it was in the New York Times, that the protests in Poland right now are somehow analogous to the solidarity uprising against the Soviets uh, 43 years ago. 
nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, a people rising up against their foreign oppressor, a government imposed by the totalitarian state of the USSR, is completely different than democratic pro uh, protests and demonstrations in a uh, in a democratic republic like Poland is now. Yes, there are political disagreements in Poland. That is the whole point of a democracy. The polls will work this stuff out. Yes, some of the rhetoric coming out is not terrific, and we want to see them be more unified with the rest of Europe in the battle against Russia with respect to Ukraine, 100%. But let's give the polls some grace here. They're in a very tough spot. These grain deals flood their markets with cheap grain. That's bad for Polish farmers. There's a real political cost to that. We see that in our own country with respect to food aid all of the time. Uh, we see it with respect to our own votes on aid to Ukraine that the U.S. House just did last week. Um, you know, pushing that aid out of the, the budget deal to keep our own government open. So we are in really no position to be all preachy with the polls and particularly Western Europeans who are, you know, uh, under our nuclear umbrella really ought to put a cork in it when it comes to criticizing Poland, which is a democracy. Yes, they may not agree with the ruling party on a lot of stuff. That's okay. That's how democracies work. As a um, national security professional of Polish descent, I am largely um, empathetic with, with, with Poland here. No, look, I mean, at the beginning of Russia's war in Ukraine, you know, Poland was Ukraine's staunchest supporter. I would still argue that they are. Look, we're a year, over a year and a half into this war in Ukraine. We're really starting to see sort of the fissures brought on by populist politics here. You know, this is not the only European country where we're seeing this. Uh, Slovakia in particular is experiencing something very similar. Um, and even in the United States, as Les mentioned, you know, we, we saw funding for Ukraine stripped out of the continuing resolution in order to keep the U.S. government open. Um, and frankly, though, the only country that benefits from this is, is Russia. You know, weighing support for Ukraine and Poland and the United States, arguably two of the most important uh, partners, allies in NATO, you know, when it comes to Russia's war on Ukraine, you know, it, it really doesn't help Poland at home. It doesn't certainly does not help the United States. And in fact, it makes us look more vulnerable. It looks us look weak um, because Russia will seize on this and really use it as an opportunity to build momentum and push westward. Yeah, I think Morgan's exactly right. I think that, you know, that, that, that this whole issue is actually sweeping all of Europe. And this populist, this populism is not just in Europe, it's in the U.S., this is the kind of thing that's really problematic for any kind of foreign aid, particularly, um, you know, military aid. Um, and so I think, I think, I think Morgan's exactly right. Oh, interesting turn though. You now see the British actually talk about training Ukrainians in Ukraine. So they're actually going the opposite direction. So there is some, there are some trends that cut the other direction as well. I was wondering, um, you know, Les, you mentioned, you mentioned the grain shipments and the, you know, the domestic conversation in Poland going on and, and in the fight over that. So, you know, we obviously had Zelensky at UNGA. What do we make about all of these, you know, the populist movement across Europe with, you know, Ukraine trying to join NATO and the EU, which all of these conversations would bring up a whole lot of other issues. I mean, do you, is this like a small microcosm of what would be a, a larger fight across the continent? Yeah, I mean, let's let's be uh, grounded in reality here. Europeans have struggled with conflicts with each other and kind of collective action through the EU and the United Nations and other things. This is... Uh, so so these kinds of disputes about who's the decision maker, what if what if Poland has to leave the decision about 
uh, food markets to the EU. That's going to be bad for their farmers. They're going to want to own that decision. But then if all of the European countries own all of their own decisions, we're going to get back to some sort of, uh, you know, state on state conflict in Europe. Europeans tend to like to fight each other. And so if we can find ways to get them to not fight each other, it's worth the effort. I think it's going to be a struggle occasionally. There, there are going to be issues like this where it looks like they can't get along on anything. We got to, we got to help them through it. There are cousins there in Europe. Uh, they share a lot of our values and we should be there for them and let them that we, that we should be a shoulder they can come cry on. But at the end of the day, I think we, we do need to give the polls some grace here. We need to realize that they are going to support Ukraine at the end of the day, probably all through the day, despite what some of the rhetoric has been. And let's just let them go do that. Jamila, you kind of had an eye roll there at the beginning of, of Les's comment. I mean, I mean, this idea that somehow Europe's going to descend into war if, if one nation doesn't support the EU or breaks out of the EU like the UK did. I, I just don't think that's real. I mean, even, even, if the even EU, though even they've the been EU... doing exactly that for a thousand years, a thousand okay. years is what <laughs> they do. <laughs> The world's been at war for a thousand years across the across all the continents. It's not just I mean the Middle East. I mean, it's not, not it's not just Europe. Let's be clear. I mean you know I don't know. They Africa is that at, at wars for okay. Well, I look. I mean I don't think the world ends if the EU collapses. I don't want the EU to collapse. But I don't think the world. I don't think we end, end back into you know the hundred years of war. I don't think that's real. Um, I don't know if we just wrap the show in an optimistic tone or a really <laughs> dark tone for the future of the world. I'm not sure. Uh, but it is that's a wrap. Thanks so much to Tatum Clifton and Claude Jennings and the rest of the NSI team for their help in producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday, October 4th for another episode of Faultlines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. We're now on YouTube, so check us out there. And if you like what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe.